Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. Todd, I have to tell you, this is a day that I knew would come. And uh, somehow, in the back of my mind, I really hoped that by some miracle it wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) You're scaring us, Craig. You're scaring Uh, us. But uh, I know. Well, I mean, it's. I don't think that this will come as a shock to anybody. Um, Sadly... We ended 2021, which was a rough year anyway, um, but we ended it by losing just the incomparable, amazing, brilliant Betty White. Just an American icon. Uh, You know, I I think she's a global icon at this point, and for so many reasons. Really, probably the longest-spanning career of just about any figure in entertainment, mm-hmm. period, ever. Groundbreaking in so many ways. Really broke through the glass ceiling for women throughout her career. She started in radio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then, you know, then when uh, TV happened, you know, she was right there. And uh, early in her career, she was doing live on air television for five hours a day, six days a week. That's nuts. Unscripted live television, five hours a day, six days a week. I mean, it's it's almost unfathomable. Mm. Nobody does that. I, I can't think of anybody today who could do that with comfort and success. Not outside of the Home Shopping Network. <laughs> right, right. And just went on to have an amazing career primarily as an actress, but also as a producer, um, host of her own self-titled show very early on, before women were doing such things. You know, when she had her own show, The Betty White Show, talk-slash-variety type show, she had complete creative control, which again was almost unheard of. You know, she hired uh, female writers and producers. At one point, she had an African-American performer on her show, a regular on her show. He was a dancer, and um, she got all kinds of criticism. Networks and, and television stations, particularly in the South, threatened to pull airings of her show, and her response was, too bad deal with it and yeah. and in response instead of taking this performer I, I don't have his name in front of me I apologize but instead of reducing his role or taking him off altogether she gave him more screen time in response <laughs> and and faced some backlash for it went on to do you know amazing television you know she worked with Carol Burnett she really I think made a name for herself Uh, on the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, where she played kind of a vixen. Sue Ellen Nevins, I think, was her name on that show. Then what I fell in love with her through was The Golden Girls. Yeah. The Golden Girls was this sitcom about four elderly women. You know, our, our... perception of age has changed so dramatically because We're over. <laughs> at the, when this show premiered, these women were in their 50s. There are shows about women in their 50s today <laughs> that look very different yes. <laughs> than the Golden Girls. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> but, the, but the Golden Girls, I mean, it was hilarious. I came home from school 
every day and from four o'clock to five o'clock watched the Golden Girls in syndication wow. every day after school for years. I still watch that show. It's hilarious. It is. It broke ground in many ways. It dealt with um, gay marriage and interracial relationships. And these women, you know, they were older and they were widowed or divorced, but they still had active social, romantic, and sexual lives. It was the kind of thing that television had never seen before. And it was wildly popular. Mm -hmm. And after that, she continued to work. Um, she worked in, in film, Lake Placid. Lake Placid, by the way. It's the movie. <laughs> we'll get to it's it eventually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I believe this was her only horror film. It, it came out in 1999 and she had done some film work before but this I think really kind of reinvigorated her film career and she went on to do dozens more films throughout her career she continued to work in TV there was a huge online campaign to get her to host Saturday Night Live which she did and she was just brilliant on it and the people who work on Saturday Night Live said that she was just one of the most great and talented hosts that they had ever worked with. I think it was Seth Meyers who said that in all his years on Saturday Night Live, she was one of, if not the only host who stayed for the after party and, and stayed for the whole thing. Hmm. And she was probably in her 90s at that point. And he said that she just, she ordered a hot dog and a vodka <laughs> and she just stayed and spoke to everybody who wanted to talk to her. And by all accounts, she was just a lovely person. And in addition to her work in the entertainment industry, which is groundbreaking and substantial, she was just a wonderful human being. She was charitable and kind, and uh, she was an amazing advocate for animals. Mm -hmm. She was a lover of all animals and worked extensively with PETA and countless other animal charities. And in the wake of her death, there was a, a Betty White challenge to donate um, to animal rescues and humane societies. And it, millions of dollars were generated in her name. And I almost get choked up talking about her just because she is so cemented in my brain mm. uh you know i just i have such such admiration for her it's such a bitter irony that she passed just days before her 100th birthday that's crazy right and you know there was a huge tribute planned for her on her 100th birthday which they went ahead with and and there are more tributes in the works and if anybody deserves them it's her. And as sad as it is that she's gone, what an amazing legacy. Like, you, you just can't help but celebrate that legacy. We're so lucky to have had her. I could go on all day. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of this is hyperbole, really. You know, I mean, no. we tend to pile on, you know, and look at all just the good things about people when they pass, especially famous people that touch us in some way. But she's pretty unique. I would consider her like the great uniter, you know, mm -hmm. like there's nobody who doesn't love this woman. I think. Right. I mean, she just there's something wrong with you. if you don't. <laughs> Really? And it's true. And it's not because she just slunk around and was kind of in the background and didn't really speak her mind or just, you know, smile and nodded and agreed with everything. She was her own person. She, as, as a kid growing up, my most of my experience with Betty White, certainly my first experience with Betty White was 
I guess the same as yours on the Golden Girls, right? Mm-hmm. Also loved that show. Everybody loved that show. It was funny. You're right. It was groundbreaking. And her character on that show was interesting. Rose, right? Because she, mm-hmm. um, I, I read about this. I read that when they were when they were putting the show together and they approached her and asked her if she would like to play this character, she initially refused because the way she read it, she thought this was written and going to be written as kind of a dumb a dumb woman, mm-hmm. kind of a naive, stupid kind of dumb woman, and she didn't want to play that that way. But they persuaded her, and she said, okay, but we're not going to play it that way. And what kind of comes out of Golden Girls, you realize, is, yeah, she's kind of a little naive. She's kind of a little simpler in her thoughts and stuff, but she's not dumb. No. She's a very interesting, complicated character. I mean, as complicated as you can get in a sitcom, right? You don't get terribly right. deep on a sitcom, but but she didn't play it stupid. And I feel like that is sort of the reputation that she had for a whole generation of people was this character, you know? So here she uh-huh. is. She's playing this kind and nice, grandmotherly type person that just is sweet and maybe a little naive, but everybody's going to love her because of it. Obviously not who she was in real life, but when we see actors on the screen, we tend to imagine them with their roles, you know? And I think this movie, Lake Placid, was one of the first roles she had where she surprised people. She surprised people who didn't know any better. Yeah, Because in this movie, she's like the opposite of that. She's this strong, (laughs) foul-mouthed woman who curses and swears. (laughs) And that in itself was charming. Whoa, here's the sweet Rose, Betty White. Like, we just always imagined she's this way and would never imagine she would play this role where she curses and swears. And, you know, I mean, it's silly, but it's true. People always talk about, and I think this has been bandied about in the media as well, like, uh, oh, your career's had such a resurgence, right? Oh, you know, people are more interested in you now, and, you know, you're all over the internet, and there are memes made about you and stuff. Don't you think that's great? And she would respond and say, I've been working, like, every day <laughs> for most uh-huh. of my life since I was a young kid. Like, it, from her perspective, and really from the perspective of history, her career never stopped. It kept no. going. It just, like... Every- it spanned, like, 80 years. Yeah, right? It just, our appreciation of her grew and deepened I think and I think then that is why we she kind of stands the test of time really she never got irrelevant no she was just always interesting and always fun and always there that is a, has been a source of comfort what a nice role model you know a person yeah, to look absolutely. up to and her career bore that out her personal life bore that out and we all loved her for it and if anything Again, it feels like hyperbole, but if anything, like there's some good, there's some hope for humanity at a time when we're all just kind of down on it right now, uh-huh. that there's a person like this that does exist that almost everybody universally can agree. This is what a good person looks like. Right. This is something to aspire to, or at least this is something to admire. And there are so many things to admire about her. And you're right. This movie was surprising. And it is so fun to see her because to see her in something like this, yeah. because just her... I, I think the air that she had about her, she just seemed very kind and friendly, and, and she was all of those things. To see her here, you know, spewing profanities, they just roll off of her tongue, and it's just absolutely hilarious. She wasn't entirely unlike that either. Right. If you watch, if you watch her in interviews, like late night talk show interviews, mm-hmm. she's just sharp as a knife, like so witty and so funny. And she was not 
at all above cracking a raunchy joke yeah. or playing with innuendo. And if you see behind the scenes footage of her from the Golden Girls or Hot in Cleveland, there there are great like behind the scene stuff that you can see about Hot in Cleveland Cleveland outtakes on YouTube and stuff. And she did. I mean, she she could <laughs> she could cuss it up with the best of them and did. But Again, that's just something that's endearing. Yeah. You know, it, it makes her feel real and real like and human. She's not just a front. She's not just a character. She's a real person. Mm-hmm. Someone you can relate to, someone that feels approachable. One of the other things that I love about her, and I mean, it has really nothing to do with her career, but her love for her husband. She she was married three times. Her first uh, marriage was very short-lived, less than a year, I think. And her second marriage was um, brief as well, a couple of years. But then, through her extensive work in game shows, she met who would become her third husband, Alan Ludden, and uh, they just had such a wonderful love story. He pursued her relentlessly, um, and she was reluctant. I, it, I'm, I'm saying this from memory, so I apologize if there are any incorrect things that I'm saying here, but I think that she was a little reluctant because he was something of a ladies' man, and she knew that. Also, they lived on opposite coasts, and neither of them wanted to relocate, so though he was pursuing her relentlessly, she she held off for a very long time, but eventually he broke her down, and they were married, and it was just this wonderful... They were married for decades. Mm. He died, I think, in the late 80s, And she never remarried and said that she was never interested in pursuing romantic relationships after the death of her husband. He was the love of her life. And she talked about how, as, you know, she was approaching 100 years of life, um, she, she said that she loved life and that she would embrace life for as long as she could. But there was also always a part of her who was looking forward to being reunited with her husband. Mm. So when she passed, her assistant who was very very close to her said that uh you know we can we can take comfort in the fact that she's reunited with the love of her life which is just uh you need some heartwarming content in your life every once in a while (laughs) (laughs) especially on a horror podcast (laughs) right And we will talk about this movie because it's a good movie and I want to talk about it. It's a good thing it's short because, man. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're a quarter deep into our podcast time. I know. It's okay because this is our, if you hadn't noticed it, Betty White tribute episode. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing you can't deny, really, I think about this movie is, yes, she did have a long career. It spanned a lot of things. And so she never became irrelevant or off the scene and then suddenly popped in. Right. But she did kind of, you know, for example, this movie, this was not an indie film, right? This is a big budget, mainstream film, lots of stars, heavily promoted, released into a very interesting year for movies. Uh But she was playing a character in here that most of us had never seen before. Right. And so it drew a lot of attention to her. And I think uh, it was a joke for uh, for a lot of us. Like, even if maybe you didn't like this movie, you'd be like, but get, you, you won't believe this. Betty White is cursing up yeah. a storm in it, right? 
and and I do think it marked a bit of a turning point for her career, where where more people were aware of this side of her, and she could kind of um, capitalize on that a little bit, or people would ask her to do kind of a little more edgy stuff or be a silly, you know, mostly mm-hmm. in comedies and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And so there, that has also been fun, I think, for those of us who grew up with Rose. You know, and mm-hmm. that's really all the only way we knew her to sort of see her do this as well. And it's very memeable stuff. And so I think with the resurgence of the Internet, which likes to hyperanalyze everything and milk everything in pop culture for all it's worth. I feel like she did really thrive in this era oh, where yeah. a lot of stars don't in that she was very memeable relatable kind of kind of career that she had you know in person and so everybody just loves to love her and so i do think that that's true and this movie is definitely was for sure a turning point um in kind of bringing out that other aspect of her career and which it might have gone that way anyway but you know what i'm saying yeah this movie it's it's a giant crocodile movie and it's funny (laughs) because i was reading that the giant crocodile has less than four minutes um of screen time um (laughs) but you know it's a crocodile movie so in some ways you know the crocodile is kind of the star of the movie it only gets four minutes i bet betty white maybe has five minutes of screen time but it doesn't matter (laughs) no she's not she's she's a bit player She's in, I think, three or four scenes, short scenes, but she's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, just laugh out loud, hilarious. You know, I, to be honest with you, I, I saw this movie when it came out, and I've seen it since then, but it's been a very long time. But I honestly was really not looking forward to revisiting it, except mm-hmm. for Betty White. I could watch her scenes all day, every day. But I kind of had it in my mind that it was a really schlocky B-type movie. Mm. Um, and, and I had it in my mind that it wasn't going to be good and that I was going to think it was stupid and I wasn't going to enjoy it, though I remembered enjoying it at the time. Going back and watching it, this is such an interesting movie to me. Yes. Because I feel like they took... Like, this, this seems like the creative process. Like, let's take one of the most obvious plots for a B-movie, a, a giant crocodile somewhere where it's not supposed to be. Okay, mm-hmm. that's it. Easy enough. Now, let's throw a lot of money and incredible talent at it and see what happens. Mm. Everybody involved in this has done great stuff. The director, Steve Miner, directed House, Warlock, Halloween H2O, Friday the 13th 2 and 3, and many other movies. Yeah, not just horror. Movies that I've really enjoyed. Oh, no, not I only highlighted the horror ones, but lots of stuff. The writer, David E. Kelly, is a huge writer and producer <laughs> in Hollywood and has been for decades. Um, he did. He wrote Doogie Howser, M.D. Um, he's had big success recently with Big Little Lies and Nine Perfect Strangers. He he wrote for Ally McBeal. I mean... Creator, I think. He, yeah, yeah. Yes, I mean, huge stuff. And then like you already mentioned, big stars. Now, I wouldn't say necessarily like A-list blockbuster stars, mm-hmm. but totally, you know, these are people who were working, especially in the 90s. Bridget Fonda... You know, off of the success of single white females, she was a big name for and, and singles. Well, Bill Pullman, not many years after Independence Day. Right, right. Uh, Oliver Platt, God, e- even some of the smaller characters. There's there's a deputy, Deputy Sharon 
Gare, played by Mel- Meredith Salinger, who mm. wasn't a huge star, but I had such a crush on her when I was a teenager because she was like the cute girl in one of the Corey's movies, um, Dream a Little Dream, which not a great movie, but I loved it, and I loved her in it. Brendan Gleeson, uh, who's the, you know, I mean, you might know him as, uh, was it Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies yeah. more recently, but he's been in a billion things. Right, right, and and Betty White. And so what you end up with is a pretty typical B-monster movie, but <laughs> it's well shot. I mean, it's really pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. It's well acted if i had any complaint and it's really not a complaint but it's something that i feel like i need to at least mention it the movie is super witty like yeah it's annoyingly witty at times every line is a zinger yeah (laughs) exactly it it is and and you know how i think the reason you bring it up is at times like that goes a little too far right you're just groaning and laughing and, and and it takes you out of it a little bit like you know you're watching a Hollywood movie. Right. I mean, the lines are funny. There are there are great quotable yeah. lines. Oh yes. Um, but it's ever I mean, every line. <laughs> like just every character is so witty and sharp and just so ready with a clever comeback at every turn. It's a little unrealistic, but whatever. I yeah. mean, the, uh, I think, I don't remember if it was the writer or the director, one of them worked on um, Dawson's Creek. And that was a big criticism of Dawson's Creek, too, that those kids were far too sophisticated in the way that they <laughs> talked and far too witty. And, and I, I see that here, but whatever. I mean, it's funny. It is a funny movie. And something that shocked me this time around and reading about it, because I had never read about it before, there is some creature work done by Stan Winston. I mean, mm-hmm. seriously, yeah. could you have gotten more talented people to work on this movie? It's true. Um, but there's also a lot of CGI, which I had forgotten. And it's good. It looks better than a lot of the CGI today. What? Yeah. It's crazy. Like, it looks real <laughs> most of the time. They did a great job with the CGI. And at this time of the... Of the I mean, a lot of CGI looked like crap around this time, yes. around this era. So uh, it's true. Well, The Mummy came out the same year. Oh, God, man. So much came out this year. Yeah. This was the year of The Matrix and Fight Club and The Mummy and all this stuff. So it's kind of crazy what this movie was up against. But also, it kind of came in the wake of a bunch of movies that were similar to it. As I recall, like Anaconda, Deep Blue Sea, The Relic. Mm-hmm. This movie, I think we're all around the same time where we were getting a little bit of these like monster movies were kind of Godzilla, that that really crappy Godzilla, Yeah, I think came out this year or maybe the year before it. At the same time, I feel like this movie tonally is odd because you don't typically expect to see. It's gory. First of all, it's pretty gory, mm-hmm. especially for a big budget Hollywood movie with all these stars in it. And at times it feels like a comedy because they're clever, witty things being said a lot. But then at times it feels like a straight out horror movie and bloody and gory. And at other times it seems like like an environmental tale or something. I mean, it's just it just bounces back and forth so much between sometimes in the same scene between serious and comedy and uh, adventure story and horror. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. 
I mean, it makes it an interesting film, but it might have worked against it a little bit. It's just different from a lot of the other similar movies of that era, maybe with the exception of The Relic. I felt like it was trying to appeal to a lot of different audiences, and maybe it lost a few people along the way, because I don't think it was well-reviewed at the time. It did okay at the box office, but, you know, I don't think it was... Like you said, my memory of this film, and I did see it before, was that it was schlocky and silly, and I didn't have much memory of it. I, I thought that it was pretty not memorable Mm -hmm. um this time around i felt mm, i i I got a little bored and i think uh i thought it was a little silly at times and just a little too unrealistic at times for my mind Mm -hmm. Uh, i mean the the bottom line is it's a big alligator in a lake Mm -hmm. and the only reason this alligator is going to be a danger to you is if you get in the lake (laughs) if you're if you're not in the lake you're going to be fine and it's this quiet lake that apparently not a lot of people go to just some scientists who are researching right in this case starting out it's a brendan gleason's character sheriff hank keogh and some researcher he's taken out there to check out beaver dams. they're tagging they're tagging beavers (laughs) tagging beavers yeah that's a joke right right and uh, while he's while he's on the boat uh, and this guy's in the diving, you know, in the lake, tagging beavers. Now, one thing about diving in a lake is that it's hard to see that you don't see very much in front of you. So that kind of works in this movie's advantage. But he's tagging beavers and he's inside this beaver hut and uh, he gets pulled out of it uh, by this unseen creature and dragged around. Sheriff sees all this happen and then uh, he gets to the boat and he pulls him out of the water and it's pretty shocking. I mean, this is the first five minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. He pulls half of his body out of the water. Mm -hmm. I mean, guts are dripping. He pulls into the boat. You see the whole thing. I was kind of shocked. Yeah, me too because I had forgotten. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that kind of kicks things off. And then uh, you jump to the Natural History Museum. Was that in New York City, I think? I I don't know, but Bridget Fonda works there. Her name (laughs) is Kelly, and she gets immediately dumped by her her boyfriend, and she finds out that one of her friends has been... One of her friends in a tiny bit part is Mariska Hargitay like I'm watching this I'm like wait is that Mariska Hargitay yeah and she's in it for like 10 seconds no where would I know her from uh Criminal Minds or one of those shows she is the daughter of a Jane Mansfield I think oh no kidding and it's it's silly Bridget Fonda's character is so silly like she is this super uptight yeah, it, it, it's not a nice word, and it's not one that I throw around a lot. But bitch, like yeah. <laughs> she's just like anal. A, a cold, yeah, annoying, annoying as hell. Yeah, which grated on me for a while. I, maybe the whole movie. Like I just don't think she's a very relatable, likable character. I'm not saying that she has to be, but I just God, I just wanted her to get eaten about halfway through. Well, it. they are setting her. Uh, I mean, and and. I don't have a problem with this relay. Like, she is so over the top in the beginning. It's a character. With the things that she says. It is a character. She plays it well. She's a good actress. She sells it. But they're setting her up for a character arc. And you can see it in every element of her character. In the beginning of the movie, she wears very tight-fitting business attire. She has her hair pulled up really tight. Just, like, everything about her is tight. And as the movie progresses, and as she slowly kind of loosens up and comes into herself she loses that edge and you even see it visually she starts wearing her hair down she mm-hmm. starts wearing far more comfortable it's 
clothes. <laughs> it's so transparent, though, you know, and that's what annoyed me. I'm afraid I can't let you go with us, ma'am. Sheriff Keo said I could. Unfortunately, fish and game supersedes the sheriff. Why do you have to supersede? Maybe I might be... Ma'am, look, this isn't some kind of fact-finding expedition. Yes, I know that. It's not a science trip. Could you be a little more condescending? Because I'm not real great with subtlety. Something in that lake killed somebody, right? I appreciate you trying to help. I'm really glad that you brought the raid. Yeah, that's better. Ma'am, it's not going to work. If you call me ma'am one more time, I'll sue you. And with today's laws, it's possible. She's good. It's so written. Yeah. It's too Hollywood. And and also, I didn't even think it was that believable. I didn't think her character... I, I really had a hard time finding that defining moment in the movie where suddenly she decided to stop being so bitchy you know, figuratively and literally let her hair down. When was that? I don't remember. <laughs> she So she gets sent by her ex-boyfriend slash boss because they found a tooth in that guy's body. And so she gets, because she's a paleontologist, she gets sent to look at the tooth. And she does, and she thinks it's reptilian, but she also views the body and, uh, you know, the body's clearly been bitten in half. And yeah. so this, this has to be some kind of big predator. And so she kind of joins the investigation, and she and Hank are joined by Jack, played by Bill Pullman, who is a fish and game warden. Mm. And these three kind of become the central three and then are joined by uh, Oliver Platt's character in a while. But in the beginning, you know, Bridget Fonda's introduction to Hank and Jack, you know, she's condescending. She's, you know, making jabs at their community, at their intelligence, about the locals. I mean, she's she's the city bitch and Mm. they're... The country folk, you it's know, true. Um, and they play that up. But as the movie progresses, and this isn't like super shoved in your face, but she and Jack, Bill Pullman, have these moments together where mm. they talk, and they're obviously flirting. Um, it, it, it's one of those, oh, we hate each other, but we're flirting. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's stupid in Hollywood, but it's kind of funny. And I think that it's in those moments that you start to see a little bit more of the softer side of her. And at one point, they're talking, and he says to her, you're having the best time of your life, aren't you? And she says, what? No, that's terrible. People are dying. How could I be... Could you tell? <laughs> and and she she actually says, you know, that all of her life she's witnessed things from the outside. And this is the first time that she's ever felt a part of something. And to find a little bit of purpose and to feel like she's a part of something and to kind of be building some relationships. Um, I think that that softens her up a little bit, and it is silly. I mean, it's it is silly. It's such a big transformation. But honestly, by the end of the movie, I thought she was cute and like. <laughs> well, if if I were to rewrite it, if I would presume to rewrite this movie, I would from the beginning make her enthusiastic about this, but incredibly naive. Mm-hmm. She's a paleontologist who like hates nature. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird, right? She gets out there, but she's bitching about mosquitoes and, oh, I need to camp and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, come on. Really? I do not believe that whatsoever. 
I would have said, oh, she should have jumped at the chance to get out there and be overeager, get in everybody's way, and also be a bit of a fish out of water because even though she's enthusiastic for the job, she's never actually literally had that experience before. You know, that that's, I think, how I would have played it. It would have been a little more believable than what we ended up with, which I just thought yeah. was silly. You know, that's true. But that role is already filled by Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt plays this guy named Hector Sear, Sire. Mm -hmm. He is the one who is, he comes out (laughs) of nowhere. She knows who he is randomly because he's done some stuff with her museum or something. And he's this eccentric millionaire who's fascinated with crocodiles because he's a mythology professor. And she explains at some point that he thinks that crocodiles are like divine, like like gods. And of course the country boys, you know, roll their eyes and think that's silly. And she's like, I know, I know. It seems silly, but really historically, you know, all of these different cultures from places in Asia to other parts of the world have in some capacity worshipped crocodiles or other large uh, reptiles. She says that at some point, and I have no idea if this is true, but historically crocodiles have been worshipped more than Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, I have again, I have no idea if that's true, but I do know that it, what she's saying about other cultures viewing these creatures as divine creatures, that is true. Mm. So he he's the one who's overly enthusiastic, who is r- reckless in his pursuit. So I don't know. He's like super silly too, though. I mean, oh first of all, God. I don't know where he heard about this. Where did he right. hear about this? Do we ever get an explanation of why he suddenly no. swoops in on an airplane, lands in the middle of this lake, and then inserts himself into this situation? No, no. He just found out about it somehow. And he, before anybody says crocodile, like that's how <laughs> they figure out that that's what it is because he shows up and she's like, wait a second, he's super into crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing he's into crocodiles, right? right. <laughs> he, he's like part Steve Irwin, part Indiana Jones, you know, part MacGyver, part wise ass. It's so over the top. It is. It was kind of silly. Again, it just felt really scripted and really annoying. But, but as annoying as he is, and he is super annoying because he's super, super witty and very condescending. And they put up with him for way too long. <laughs> well, he, and, and he and... Sheriff Hank are set up as foils and they're constantly taking jabs at one another and and finding themselves in conflict. It's kind of cute. Like at the end, it kind of seems like they've developed kind of a love-hate kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, well, he does know what he's talking about, so we're going to kind of right. let him here anyway. And then, oh, you know, he's, he's saved our ass a couple times. So. Right, right, exactly. And I don't hate that. It's kind of cute and sweet. But, I mean, the whole movie really just comes down to they're looking for this crocodile. There are a couple of jokes that I just really want to highlight because they kill me every time. The first time that um, Kelly, Hank, and Jack go out on the lake together, they see something weird in the water and they pull up alongside it and Hank pulls it up and it's like an elk head and he swings it over and drops it in the boat right at Kelly's feet and she screams... (laughs) And slaps him. And he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, you threw it at me. He's like, I just put it down. And she's like, no, you threw it at me. And she slaps him again. Oh, so funny. And then later, they are on another scouting expedition when a deputy's head 
uh, the crocodile jumps out of the water and, and just bites this guy's head off. And later they're walking around in the forest and she steps on a stick, which launches this deputy's head at her. And <laughs> I just, I just died. She's like, just, just keep breathing. I know. I am being very calm. I am composed. This is the second time I've been hit with a severed head and it upsets me. <laughs> like, oh, just please. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if other people will find that as funny as I did, but oh, it's funny. Oh, she's just so high strung. It's it's hilarious. I think actually Jack and Hank's character in this movie are are pretty real. I felt like they were the two most real characters in this movie. They seem like just two guys who are got to do a job. Yeah, this is what the they have men. to do. Mm-hmm. And I liked their dynamic from the very beginning. I liked the way they played it. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't ultra heroic or anything like that. They just seem like the guys who would be in my town who have these jobs, you know? And and they're just doing their job. And they are. And they're just sort of tolerating all these crazy people who are jumping in here who are more or less getting in the way of of them doing their job. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the other kind of ridiculous thing about it is why do they continue to tolerate it for so long when they could, they have the authority to just boot these people out, you know? Well, they, I mean, they, they even talk about it. I mean, it's, both of them hate Hector, but Kelly keeps saying, look, he knows what he's doing. He's setting traps for us. And- yeah, I mean, he's he, he's a great trapper. He knows how to find them. Like, I, yes, he's eccentric and crazy, but... He's got all this high-tech equipment that they can use. So as annoying as he is, he is of some use to them. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. He's like the most used to them. I mean, they're right. pretty freaking lucky he randomly landed there because he's got everything. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, he's got the stuff and he's got the knowledge. Knowledge, yeah. But, 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 but before he even shows up, they're not really worried about it. They want to keep it really quiet. But the reason that they're not panicked immediately is because this lake is apparently so remote that n- nobody lives on it and really nobody does anything on it there's just this one old couple that lives on it and so the three the main three folks go to visit this couple and when they get there it's betty white and her name is uh mrs dolores (laughs) bickerman (laughs) and she says her husband died oh my husband passed away it's been almost two years now my department doesn't have any record of that mrs bickerman well i'm sorry incomplete records haunt me so like, <laughs> in just such a like such a sarcastic way. Yeah. He was very sick and and he refused to go to a doctor. He'd be coherent one day and incoherent the next and well, one coherent day he asked me to end his suffering. And he kept insisting and insisting and then well, finally I just gave in. And I hit him on the head with a skillet. Then buried him under the bulkhead. Well, dig him up if you don't believe me, Sherlock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just everything she says is hilarious, and it's only because of her delivery. I suppose another performer could have played the role and it would have been funny but it's just such a hilarious juxtaposition to what we expected of her at the time and it it just it works 
so so well it's a character that you know just gets more and more quirky and mysterious the more you see her right because Mm -hmm. she's saying these kind of outrageous things but she's walking around and handing them tea she's openly admitting (laughs) to killing and burying her husband you know i mean it's just a juxtaposition that makes her very very interesting and yeah and her demeanor is you know very grandmotherly like she's do like you said giving them tea giving them cookies and she does this throughout but uh, later as she gets more irritated the things that come out of her mouth are are <laughs> it's just so unexpected that it just lands so funny but <sighs> then hector shows up and and the four now uh kelly hector jack and hank go out on canoes one of their boats gets flipped by something underneath them and kelly and hank end up in the water and there are several of these scenes where something like that happens and then there's really no payoff yeah, nobody dies no it didn't really bother me I still found it suspenseful, um, and I, I didn't need an attack every five minutes. Like you know, they're, they're figuring out. Oh, obviously, there's something big in the water. Deputy Sharon Meredith Salinger finds a toe, and <laughs> Hector holds it up to uh, Hank and says, "Is this the man who was killed? He seemed taller." That was so funny. Okay, that was hilarious. Uh, there's that joke. There's another joke because they start to, once they realize there is a crocodile, they wonder where it came from. And um, I don't remember who, maybe Hector says, some asshole in Asia must have flushed it down the toilet. There are a couple of gags um, that are direct nods to the film Alligator, which we've done. Mm -hmm. And this is really not all that unlike. It's just bigger really budget not. bigger budget and it happens i mean in, in alligator i feel like the stakes were higher simply because that thing was going through and terrorizing right. people in town right, also right. kind of unrealistically suddenly shows up at a at a garden party you know suddenly shows up in an alley in downtown <laughs> but but yeah i mean that was a little different i thought the stakes were higher there yeah. yeah, but Hector throws a big party at the campsite because crocodiles are attracted to noise, and he's dancing with that deputy that I've mentioned, and he's, <laughs> he says, Law enforcement is very dangerous work, isn't it? And you have such big, wonderful boobs. <laughs> and he gets away with saying this stuff. Like, oh, she laughs like it's funny. Like, he's just that eccentric. And I actually think she's kind of into him. Oh, she's definitely into him again <laughs> improbably so but yes <laughs> uh, it's cute but eventually they dive in the water they realize it's a crock the big reveal is when hector and hank get into a fight and hank chases hector and the rest of the main characters follow the pursuit and they end up near the shore of the lake when suddenly an enormous bear and is like standing and roaring and threatening to attack and the crocodile leaps out of the water and grabs the bear and drags it into the lake all cgi looks totally real looks fantastic (laughs) and that's when they know It, it, it really looks good it's hard to believe they did a mix of animatronic and cgi because you can hardly tell one from the other yep it, it, yep. it's seamless you know, this was the other thing, though, that bothered me about the movie. It was, it's a crocodile is also a land creature, yeah. right? Yeah. And so there should theoretically be just as in peril on the land as they are in sea. They are camped like 
six feet away from right. the edge of the lake. Platt's putting some traps around and stuff like that. But it's just like whenever they're attacked in the lake, it's like, oh, they get out of the lake. And then they're out of the lake, and now everything's fine again. And they can just kind of stand around and talk and regroup and do their mm-hmm. thing and sleep some more and wake up. I didn't feel this impending sense like, oh, my God, like like there's this danger that, I mean, they could at any moment just sort of walk away and then nobody would really have to worry about it, you know? Well, <laughs> right. They meant, They talk about it, but not until the very end is there really any kind of confrontation on land. I mean, Hector explains that crocodiles are more dangerous on land. On that, land, yeah. That, under, that underwater, they don't see as well. I mean, they can still get you, but... But my God, this thing tacks like underwater all the time. <laughs> right, right. At this point, they just happen to randomly be near... Uh, Betty White's house and they see her lead a cow to the shore and the 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 croc is just <laughs> waiting in the water with its head above water its jaws wide open and it eats the cow and they go and they talk to her and she confesses that she's been feeding it for uh, like six years and Hank says something to her like uh, so your husband, you didn't happen to lead him down to the water, did you? And she looks at him and says, If I had a dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch that line on a loop for hours. Like, just <laughs> Betty White saying that. <laughs> she's so serious. She's so angry and just... Uh, she's just little old sweet Betty White just oh it my is. god and then and then she calls him officer fuck meat <laughs> <laughs> oh, too hilarious well didn't it beg the question though weren't you kind of wondering how many cows does she have and how often does she need to feed it oh definitely because definitely this is one I mean it's a big crocodile but even for a big animal it is one hungry animal oh I mean, right it, it just a- ate a bear like a minute before <laughs> the next day goes and eats a cow like when's this thing gonna go away for a while <laughs> Hector goes swimming with it because that's what he does he swims with these crocodiles but it, it comes up right behind him and I I would guess that this was the animatronic and it was big and it it looked really good and i guess they said you know it just they they designed it using uh hydraulics and they sealed it really tight so that the water wouldn't corrupt it in any way and i i guess it just worked you know it was kind of the opposite of bruce from jaws that they just had such problems with like this thing just worked it it even could like swim on its own yeah they they didn't have it doing that very often because it was really slow they would pull it along with a boat but it could um it could articulate its movement in such a way that it could actually propel itself forward but he swims with it and he comes eye to eye with it and he says this one's different it's not like any of the others that i've ever seen and he barely escapes the crocodile attacks his helicopter which again does not look bad Mm -hmm. but this is where it kind of culminates what are we going to do and hector says to kelly we can't let them kill it and so hector and kelly try to convince hank and jack that they they can't kill it. They've got to try to trap it. U.S. wildlife is coming, but uh, Hector says it's too big. They won't even try. They'll just kill it. Everything he says makes sense. He's like, it's a miracle. There's there's no explanation for why it should be here. It's 150 years old. It may have crossed an ocean to get here. 
Mm-hmm. How can we destroy something like that? You know, we've at least got to try. He lays out a plan, you know, we'll lure it to the land. I've got a net that's not strong enough to hold it, but strong enough to hold it long enough for the drugs to kick in. We can trank it and the drugs will kick in. And I, he's like, I know like an oil truck or something that can house it for the time being until we find out where to put it. And they convince the very, very reluctant Hank and Jack to try this plan. And that's what they do. And so they commandeer one of (laughs) Betty White's cows. (laughs) Put it in a sling. They go fishing with a cow. Hoist it up in a helicopter. It's so silly. It's, it's, so whole, silly. it's silly and and like honestly, I was when they start dipping it in the water. I was like, oh, that poor cow. I know. I thought the same thing. <laughs> There's like a PETA thing at the end that says no animals were harmed, but I'll bet that cow was a little pissed. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if they actually dipped it in the water. I do know that they did, they did. hoist a cow up on a crane. Oh, that's definitely a real cow. I mean, it they looks weren't like real. bothering to CGI this cow, right? <laughs> it looks <laughs> real. poor cow. And it takes a long time. You know, the the cow gets tired. I mean, it, it starts in daylight and then we cut to <laughs> it nighttime. It ends at night. <laughs> and she, you know, the cow gets tired. It's not really moving around. Bridget Fonda says, she looks like a giant tea bag. <laughs> <laughs> but then the crocodile does start coming. They have a big showdown. You know, Hector with the cow leads it to the shore. But something goes wrong and, and he loses control of the helicopter, drops the poor cow in the lake. They make a point of showing you that the cow is okay later. <laughs> like it just <laughs> walks across the screen. The helicopter crashes into the lake. The croc comes on shore for a little bit and Bill Pullman's able to get a shot into its belly, the the a dart. But that doesn't take it down immediately and it knocks Bridget Fonda into the water and there's actually a really good underwater scene oh, where yeah. she's swimming away from it. it. This is the second. There was an underwater scene in the very beginning too and they did a really good job with it. Now lakes are very murky, so I don't know how they filmed this because I there's would love gr- to know. there's great visibility under the water it could have been in a tank you know in hollywood or something they just murked up the water a bit but you know you and i are both fans of underwater photography Uh and i thought this movie did a fantastic job of underwater Uh photography Uh uh-huh and it the 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 crocodile chases her there's a she kind of hides behind a tree and it swims past but then she realizes her foot is stuck and as she's trying to get it unstuck she looks up and the croc is coming right at her and it turns on its side and opens its jaws Luckily, she's behind the tree, so that prevents it from getting her. And she gets out and gets to the helicopter where Hector still is. And then the crocodile attacks, but it attacks through the helicopter. So they're able to jump off and swim to shore. And the the crocodile is trapped in the helicopter. And the law enforcement people, Hank and Jack want to shoot it, but Hector and Kelly plead with them. They say, look, it's trapped. And and then the drugs start to kick in, and it, it, it starts to become sedate. Mm-hmm. And so they don't. Uh, you think Bill Pullman's going to shoot it, but really what he has grabbed is another trank gun. Mm-hmm. And so he just shoots it with another tranquilizer, which is very smart. And so you think... It's all over. (laughs) And then a second giant crocodile jumps out of the lake and attacks them. Hank just blows its head off with his giant 
gun. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny. The crocodile did chase them around on land a little bit too. It like chased the trucks. That was exciting. Good stuff going on there. Finally, of course, you know, at the last minute, once everything is taken care of, U.S. Wildlife shows up and they take over, like, you know, dealing with the crocodile or whatever. Hank goes with Hector in the ambulance because, like, they're friends now. And mm-hmm. uh, Kelly and Jack have a moment and it looks like they're going to just part ways without, you know, acknowledging that they have feelings for one another. But then she you know, breaks the ice and it's like, doesn't anybody in Maine ever make a move? And they drive off together and it's sweet and they have a little banter. It's cute. And then the end of the movie is you see Betty White this in the middle of the day. There's this cute music. She's walking down the dock on her property and she sits down and she dips her toes in the water and she's looking out over the water and she starts throwing in breadcrumbs and you hear her say that's right come to mama nibble mama's toes (laughs) (laughs) and these little baby crocodiles are in there and she's just feeding them gleefully and and then you see the big croc on a flatbed truck going down the freeway uh which is a pretty hilarious image and then that's that's it yeah, and uh, I, I, you know, I raced through the end because we were running low on time. But it feels like it goes that fast. Yes, there is a lot of witty banter. There are things happening, but the gist of it is they're after the crocodile. They find it. They trap it. It's not a complex movie. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not. I think the thing that I just um, look, it's fun. It was fun enough. The, it was quirky. Like I said, it made me roll my eyes a lot. I thought it was mm-hmm. kind of unrealistic. It, it It's not really the type of movie I would choose to watch because I want it to be a little more exciting, a little more action-packed like that. There are these action scenes, but I just think kind of like I said, in the back of my head, the stakes were really not that high. And as often in the case in something like this, they're more putting themselves in peril than they're finding themselves in peril. There's really not much of a moment where, you know, they're cornered and they're trapped and, and you know, like like the raft in Creepshow 2, right? You know, like that right, kind right. of thing where it's a countdown to death. It's like, oh, we went out on the water looking for this croc, but a couple of us fell in. So now we got to get back out of the water and back to land, which yeah. happens two or three times. And then, I mean, at the end of the day, they can take as much time as they want and pull in as much resources as they want to get this alligator, because it's not like he's holding anybody hostage. Right. So, I mean, I just I just kind of was a little bit like, uh, all right. I mean, about halfway through the movie, I just wanted to see the plot unfold and finish. I get it. You know, I, I'm not dogging it because it had a lot of funny moments and fun things, like we said. The actors are, of course, fantastic actors. The dialogue's witty and funny, and there's some funny moments. Still pretty uneven. You know, at times it was really gory and scary, and other times it was just a bunch of people just being witty to each other a lot of comedy and and then it, it ends romantic up romantic comedy oh my you know? <laughs> god it's so cliche you know in almost every way almost all these characters like we said are are um stereotypical so it didn't really bring anything new to the table in that regard but good effects fun to see betty white that's why we're doing oh, yeah. it and yeah i i was really happy i never actually seen this from beginning to end And so most of of the times I've seen this, I totally missed her role. I didn't even realize she was in this until you told me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was was a good watch. It was fun to see. Uh, Would I recommend it to somebody else? Not really, unless you want to go in and 
And, and this is exactly the kind of movie you like. Yes, that exactly. But I would recommend it, but I would recommend it more on the merits of the comedy than the horror. Yeah, um, for sure. It's, it's a funny movie, and I think that's what they're going for. I think it's they're going for kind of schlocky. You know, I, I think that it's perfectly successful as a modern-day B-movie. You know, something yeah. like Mosquito or alligator or whatever you know i, I can see that it, it gives you a, a giant crocodile it gives you some scary moments but it's also intentionally funny so i think it works yeah it's not amazing i don't think it's a great movie but i do think it's a really well done bad movie yeah i like it and you know again if nothing else you know what folks if you don't want to watch this movie i bet money you could find just betty white scenes on yeah. youtube on youtube and that sure. is worth your time i guarantee <laughs> it especially if you're a betty white fan as you very much should be and so with all sincerity we do this to pay tribute to and to honor people who we've lost and this is no different but really i think that my heart is more in this than any other tribute we've done before uh, i think that betty white is deserving of all of the praise that she gets her legacy is cemented i think in hollywood and and in our hearts with all the respect that i have Oh, God. <laughs> I just want to thank her for being a friend. No, seriously, I will miss her. You know, it was just kind of, even during the pandemic, she totally isolated herself wisely. And so she hadn't really been seen publicly in a couple of years. She stayed in her very modest home and uh, just kind of hold herself up. But it was always just kind of nice knowing that she was out there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's sad that she's not, but she will be forever remembered. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Of course, uh, if you enjoy this episode, let us know. If you have any insight into this movie that we missed, we'd love to hear it. If you want to hear our other stuff, all you need to do is Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw podcast, and you'll find us all over the place. Anywhere where you can find streaming podcasts, you'll find us there. We'll be back, but until that time, I'm Craig. And I'm Todd. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Chainsaw.